In our society, we striving from a message from God. God's messages transcend age, gender, socio-economic status, ethnicities, religious persuasions, political affiliations, and cultural restrictions that encourage and inspire people to become saved, delivered, and set free from the bond of sin, as well as, gain a closer relationship with God. This is God's Inputs for You with Evangelist, Dr. Sharon Westbrooks. Greetings, I'm Evangelist Dr. Sharon Westbrooks, the host of God's Input for You on the Resilient Christian Radio Network. Thank you for joining me for this broadcast. I appreciate each of you for tuning in. What is the first thing that comes to your mind upon hearing or seeing the word betrayal? Was it an affair or infidelity? For most people who hear or see the word betrayal think immediately of an affair or infidelity. But betrayal comes in so many more forms, such as abandonment, vicious gossip, backstabbing, sabotage, slander, lies, rejection, theft, judgment, disloyalty, humiliation, dishonesty, willful disclosure of information provided in confidence, and so much more. In the English language, betrayal is a verb, meaning it is an action or process of doing something, typically to achieve an aim. Additionally, in the human language, betrayal is a profound word that's loaded with volatile and emotional implications. Betrayal's root is betray, which comes from the Middle English word betraying, meaning to mislead, deceive, or an act of deliberate disloyalty. It has to do with destroying someone's trust. Strong's exhaustive concordance defines betrayal as to deal deceitfully, treacherously, unfaithfully, offend, transgressor, depart with, or to cover as with a garment. Figuratively, Strong's exhaustive concordance conveys it is to act covertly. By implication, Strong's exhaustive concordance conveys it is to pillage or to deal deceitfully, treacherously, unfaithfully. To offend, it's a transgressor that departs treachery and unfaithfulness. The Greek definition for betray or betrayal is similar to Strong's exhaustive concordance definition. However, it adds the picture of delivering a person for some evil intent to lie, to deal deceitfully, or pull a trick. There is also a very familiar idiom used in the English vernacular to describe the act of betrayal. You probably heard it previously, stabbed in the back. That sounds painful, doesn't it? Nonetheless, for me, when the betrayal is over the top deceitful, like a brother or sister in your church hugging you and proclaiming blessings of God in your life while also spreading lies about you, I describe that kind of betrayal as being stabbed in the front. Betrayal means disloyalty and treachery have been used to expose you to an enemy, to expose you to harm, or simply just to expose you. 
What you thought was protected and safe is now open and dangerous. It means someone has been unfaithful with something that you have entrusted to him or her. It means disclosure of confidences and that you have been deceived, duped, or deserted. To me, a betrayer is vile, wicked, and evil. Can you tell I don't like betrayal? The psychological impact on the one betrayed is usually permanent to some degree, depending on the kind and type of trust betrayed and the damage done by the betrayal. Betrayal can be traumatic and cause considerable distress. The psychological and emotional effects of betrayal include shock, loss and grief, morbid preoccupation, damaged self-esteem, self-doubting, anger, degradation, humiliation, worthlessness, and so much more. For the effects of a catastrophic betrayal are most relevant for anxiety disorders and post-traumatic stress disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. Additionally, betrayal may interfere with developing social capacities effectively, including the ability to make healthy decisions about whom to trust, as well as an increased risk of making inaccurate trust decisions in in the interpersonal context. Thus, interfering with intimacy and elevating risk for re-victimization. Has someone ever betrayed you? Or have you ever betrayed someone? Betrayal can be one of the most devastating forms of pain inflicted upon a human being because betrayal involves the act of someone violating your trust in them by putting their own selfish interests first. See, the suffering of betrayal is magnified often by a sense of vulnerability and exposure. I find the greater the trust the greater the pain. And for many people, the pain of betrayal is worse than physical violence. The deeper the love, the deeper the wound. She was your friend. He was your confidant. He was your pastor. They are your parents or close family members. You trusted your friend with confidential information, not to gossip about it. You trusted your husband to be faithful, not to have an affair. You expected your pastor to pray for you during your time of need, not to tell everyone in church about your situation or circumstances. You trusted your parents or close family members to love, support, and protect you, not abuse you. Like the sin of gossip, the effect of the sin of betrayal is all too common. I did a seminar recently and asked the attendees to raise their hands if they have ever experienced betrayal or if they ever betrayed someone. The response, unfortunately, was every hand in the room raised. Some people even raised both their hands. That was so heartbreaking. Every conference attendee experienced some form of betrayal or betrayed someone. Every single attendee. However, that's not the sad part. The sad part is I didn't expect anything less. For everyone, without regard to his or her race, gender, socioeconomic status, political affiliation, or religious preference, with the mental intellectual capacity to understand and reason, will 
at some time in his or her life experience the stinging pain of betrayal or inflict the stinging pain of betrayal upon someone by being a betrayer. Can you tell I really abhor betrayal? So what do you do when someone you trust and or love betrays you? How can you get past the betrayal and heal? Will you ever be able to forgive them for what he or she or they did? This broadcast will focus on overcoming betrayal. Now, this broadcast touches only the surface of the myriad of emotions involved in betrayal. However, I hope this broadcast will provide each listener with some course of action to determine what to do regarding the betrayal and or betrayals you experienced or are experiencing currently or will experience in the future, as well as help you not to be a betrayer. Too many of us learn the sting of betrayal at an early age. And sadly, many people relearn the sting of betrayal in every season of their life. You shared a secret with your best friend about a strong feeling for someone in your class that you think you like strongly, only to learn that your friend gossiped about your feelings to everybody in school and other people know about it now. Everyone is talking about an awesome party that they attended on the weekend and you realize you were the only one in your dorm in college or in your circle that was not invited. Your mom or your dad promised that she or he would pick you up on the weekend so you waited for hours. But guess what? Your mom or dad never actually came to get you. Someone took credit for your idea in the office and got the recognition or promotion you deserved. It feels unbearable at that moment because someone you trusted and believed was good seems to have acted treacherously. Their self-serving actions imply a total lack of concern and care for you. I know. I've been there and it feels like being cut open with the paring knife. See, a damaging aspect of betrayal is that our sense of reality is undermined. What felt like something reliable or trustworthy just crumbles suddenly. Our trust is shattered and often we are left wondering, what happened? How could this happen to me? How could I allow this to happen to me? Why did this happen to me? Why did he, she, or they do this to me? What did I do to deserve this? See, some betrayals leave us with little to no choice but to deal, heal, and move on with our lives, such as when you order something on the internet that looks great online, but looks like garbage in reality. You and others are able to heal, deal, and move on. On the other hand, some betrayals, such as when a husband or wife sleeps with your best friend or perhaps leaves you and ultimately chooses to build a life with someone else, or Perchance a family member or close friend uses your vulnerability to get back at you in some way are betrayals that are far more difficult to deal with, heal from, and move on with your life. For a serious betrayal puts you in a situation where you need to discern what is best for you. I must convey it is very complicated because you may think, should I gather my dignity and end the relationship? On the other hand, Is there a way to maintain my dignity while attempting to heal and rebuild trust? 
or perhaps love is still alive in your heart and your betrayer admits his or her mistake and expresses remorse. So you think it is best to take a courage, courageous risk to give your betrayer another chance or possibly you think it's foolish. It is a foolish, foolish mistake to trust your betrayer again. There's one thing to say immediately, though. You can never change your betrayer's infidelity, gossip, lies, or whatever treacherous act your betrayer carried out. Their actions is done over. However, you do have an option of assessing the meaning of your betrayer's actions in ways that allows you to like control your emotions and very possibly lessen the agony. Listen, you may feel certain that your betrayer's actions were to hurt you. That's natural to conflate an effect with an intention. However, the truth may be at once better or worse. Worse, I say, because strangely, you might not have been the prime motivating factor in your betrayer's behavior. And better for that very same reason. An action which appears from where you are standing to revolve around you entirely and a desire to hurt you might have unfolded for quite a different, more pitiable reasons. The betrayer might have had to do with your betrayer's childhood, with compulsions from elsewhere, with anxieties about his or her powers, with fears about his or her self-worth. Therefore, what you got to do is get control of your emotions because it might not even be about you or anything dealing with you. Such is the case of the betrayal of infidelity. In my opinion, this is my opinion, from numerous case studies, when it comes to the betrayal of infidelity, nine times out of ten, the betrayer does not intend to hurt the one he or she betrays. Wait, wait, stay with me now, <laughs> because I know some of you just want to turn off the radio right now. But stay with me, because as I expressed previously, this is my personal opinion from studying infidelity. Therefore, I ask you just listen with an open mind. Each one of us have inherited a culture that ties love and sex very closely together. We're told you should have sex only with the person you love or the person you love is the only person you should want to have sex with and vice versa. This might seem an inviolable truth for you, but for some people, love and sex can at points feel generally like different and independent things. Now, this by no means excuses anyone for his or her infidelity. But it can shed light on bits of the story. For that reason, your betrayer or betrayers might properly mean it when he or she or they tell you in their sorry, self-serving voice, they did not do it to hurt you. I'm just saying. Now, I want you to catch this part clearly. We all have different versions of ourselves. There's confident me, clever me, kind me, and very possibly the me we try to avoid, unworthy me. Unfortunately, betrayal taps into our deepest fears about ourselves. And we're worthless, insignificant, valueless. That betrayal like this will just keep happening to people like me that nothing is ever going to turn around. Outright for me. 
Try to put a brick wall between these long-standing feelings that you have about yourself and the act of betrayal. The betrayal had nothing to do with your worthy me. The betrayer or betrayers did not even perform their act of betrayal to show your unworthy me just how undeserving you are. You remain as you always are a fundamentally decent, worthy and legitimate member of the human race. You are valuable to God. God's creation of your life is a masterpiece that will never be replicated because you are created for God's glory. For God created you for his glory on purpose for a purpose. Most of us have felt the sting of betrayal. Likely most of us have even inflicted or it. <laughs> oh my. Yes. I said, most of us have inflicted betrayal. We, we have been betrayed and we have betrayed. So I propose the two following questions to you differently than my pre, than I did previously. What should you do when someone you trust betrays you? How should you get past the betrayal and heal? Now, when answering the previously two questions effectively, I believe the most effective means to overcoming betrayal is through critical passages within the word of God. For over and over again, through the pens of the inspired writers of the word of God, we can find great examples of how to overcome betrayal properly and effectively. From a thematic perspective, I believe David's life experiences with betrayal provides at least four important elements to help us overcome betrayal effectively. So I invite your attention to Psalms 55, 12 and 15. You don't have to get it because I'm going to read it where it finds David reflecting on the bitterness of a friend's betrayal. He, he conveys for it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the strong. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Shiloh alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. David was no stranger to the torment of enemies, but even that seemed less painful than betrayal from a friend. As I expressed previously, the closer the relationship, the closer the pain of betrayal, the deeper the hurt, the deeper the wound when it's from someone that was close to you. In the previously read scripture passages, David refers to a specific person who speaks against or reproaches him. This is someone once aligned with David who nevertheless exalted himself against David. Spurgeon expressed, none are such real enemies as false friends. The unnamed man was a partner and friend to David. They helped each other with advice and went to the house of God together. McLaren expressed further, David feels that the defection of his false friend is the worst blow of all. He could have braced himself to bear an enemy's reviling. He could have found weapons to repel or shelter in which to escape from an open foe. But the baseness, which forgets all former sweet companionship in secret and all association in public worship is more than David can bear. We don't know exactly when this happened in David's life. 
if it was before or after his sin with Bathsheba and cover up murder of Uriah. Yet the connection of David's words here with his sin against Uriah is stunning. What David was unwittingly describing in the previously read passages was also the essence of his own treachery to Uriah, one of his staunchest friends that's recorded in the 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel, where he sends his friend out to get killed. Despite the pain, there is a way we can overcome betrayal. The power comes directly from God and the strength of forgiveness. Let's look at David's response. After David laments of a broken trust in Psalms 55, he hints to how to overcome the pain. He conveys these words in Psalm 55, 16 through 19. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old Salah because they do not change and do not fear God. David's first response was to experience the pain of betrayal and cry out to God. David did not minimize his sense of hurt. He poured it out to God. We too must acknowledge when we have been hurt and then we need to share that hurt with someone who understands God understands not only was Jesus betrayed in his time of earth God has been in a sense betrayed by his creation he created us that we might glorify him and him and enjoy him instead of fellowshipping with him we sinned against him and he had to redeem us because God so easily relates with our pain we can pour out our hurt to him in prayer. When the betrayal is deep, it can be helpful to talk with a trusted friend or counselor as well. But I tell you, talking to God will make it all right. Because I recommend you be wise to refrain from gossip in doing, you know, your betrayal. Don't talk about the person who betrayed you. And and though we we may want to strike out at the betrayer. We need to take our cause to the Lord. Another vital element uh, David used to overcoming the pain of betrayal is to remember Jesus's example. David, I'm saying, remember Jesus's example. Um, our sinful nature impels us to repay evil with evil, but Jesus taught us otherwise. Matthew 5 verses 39 and 44 verse 39 expresses, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And in verse 44, it says, pray for those who persecute you. When Jesus was abused, he did not return abuse. We should not conform to, 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 to doing things that are wrong. We should conform to Jesus example by not repaying abuse for abuse, including the abuse of betrayal. Believers as believers, we are to do good even to those who do us harm. And David didn't go get Saul. He said he, he didn't go after Saul. So he had that. He didn't go after Saul. He could have killed Saul, but he didn't, even though Saul was trying to kill him. First Peter three and nine conveys, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that ye may inherit a blessing. 
Now, please note that I do not mean that you should not hold people accountable legally when their betrayal breaks the law, such as abuse or rape or theft or business violations. You should seek proper criminal justice in cases. However, your motives for seeking a, such justice should not be for vengeance or revenge. It's, it's to make them be accountable. Now, another powerful means to overcome betrayal is David realized his behavior needed to be altered. He recognized that he could not trust his friend in the same way. See, Psalms 55, 20 and 21 says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. David understood his friend's true, uh, he recognized who his friend truly was. And I'm like Maya Angelou, when she conveyed, when a person shows you who they are, believe them the first time. As I expressed previously, not all betrayers commit their acts intentionally. Sometimes friends betray us simply because they are sinful human beings, just like us. It is still wise to recognize that these people may not be as trustworthy as we once believed. However, we would be unwise to paint them with a broad brush, you know, declaring them evil and unworthy of reconciliation because such are some of us. And I believe one of the crucial elements to overcoming the bitterness of betrayal is our God-given ability to forgive the betrayer. The word forgiveness includes the word give. When we choose to forgive someone, we actually give that person a gift, the freedom from personal retaliation, see? But more importantly for you, you are also giving yourself a gift, a grudge-free, bitter-free, anger-free life, sinless-free gift. You're not holding an alt against anyone. You're trading grudges and bitterness, anger, sin for the love of God. It's wonderful. It's life-giving. It's, it, it's a life-giving exchange. In Matthew 5, Jesus taught that loving our neighbors as ourselves should be a proactive. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Without question, it is extremely difficult to forgive a person who betrayed our trust. But Luke 18 and 27 lets us know it is only possible with God. You can be happy in Jesus. Truly, truly you can, especially when people intentionally inflict pain on us or withholding of forgiveness hurts us more than it does them. Because to forgive someone is to give up our right to vengeance. We acknowledge that their act was wrong. We might be more careful in trusting them with certain issues, but we do not attempt to get back at them. We don't betray someone who betrayed us. Instead, like David did, we leave it in God's hand. David concludes in Psalms this way, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, oh God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Make no mistake about it. God will take care of evildoers and he will take care of us as well. Those who have experienced God's love understand what it means to be 
loved unconditionally and undeservedly. Romans 12, 14 and 21 lets us know that we can only love and pray for those who seek to do us harm with the help of God's spirit. Listen, Jesus was not immune to betrayal. He knew the pain of betrayal firsthand. One of the most treacherous betrayals recorded in the Bible was against Jesus. Jesus expressed even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That was John 13 and 18. But Jesus didn't become vindictive, bitter or angry. Just the opposite. After receiving the traitor's kiss, we see in Matthew 26 and 50 that Jesus addressed Judas as friend. Now, what I want to do is use Jesus's betrayal to leave you with three biblical lessons we can learn from Jesus's betrayer, Judas, that I hope will help us avoid betrayal with God or betraying God or betraying God or betraying someone in marriages and or uh, in all of our relationships, whether business, friends, family and except, you know, this this should help us. Now, let me give you a brief overview of Jesus's betrayer, Judas. I just, you know, some of you might know about him, but I just want to just lay a little light on Judas, who he was. Because Judas was from a small village in Judea uh, called Kerioth. The most interesting thing to note uh, from this is that Kerioth was outside of Galilee. Galilee is where Jesus and the other 11 disciples were from. Judas is the only outsider. As an outsider, he may never have really fit it in. You know, he didn't talk the same way. He didn't actually dress the same way. His view of the Jewish nation was somewhat different. And he was from an area that looked down on the Galilean Jews. Yet there was something about Jesus that drew Judas to follow him. Interesting to note, the gospels didn't tell us about how or when Judas was called to follow Jesus. Jesus. So we can only assume it was the same enthusiasm and vigor as when Jesus called the other disciples. I doubt Judas would have begun following Jesus with the plan to betray him. See, he saw Jesus. He liked what he seen and he followed like the other disciples. We know that Judas was chosen to serve as the treasurer for the disciples. So he must have displayed some positive characteristics for the office of the treasurer was not an office given to someone thought of a greedy or irresponsible or betrayer. It was a respected position and probably indicates the degree of esteem in which Judas held among the disciples. And yet Judas isn't even mentioned in Matthew's gospel until chapter 10. And even in that first mention, he's not labeled as the money keeper, but as the one who betrays Jesus. In Matthew 10, 1 through 4, we find uh, he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. For first, Simon, who is called Peter and his brother, Andrew, James, son of Zubedee and his brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, 
the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Worth mentioning, whenever the lists of the disciples are given, Judas is always the last one listed. Also, every time he is mentioned, the fact of his betrayal is noted along with his name without exception. His betrayal became his identity. In fact, as we examine the Gospels, we see that the seeds of his betrayal were always a part of who he was. Yet, this aspect of his character was invisible to those around him. He didn't look like he belonged on a wanted poster. He didn't look like a Weasley little con man. He didn't look like a betrayer. In reality, Judas Iscariot seemed just like the other disciples. It shocked the other disciples to find out Judas was the betrayer. They had no idea that this is how much Judas, that's how much Judas blended in with the other disciples. He didn't make that assumption. I mean, how do you think I made that assumption? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, When the disciples were in the upper room and Jesus expressed someone is going to betray me, the other disciples did not all point or look at Judas. Another disciple even asked if it was if it was him who was going to be the betrayer. None of the other disciples figured it was going to be Judas. Even when he got up and left right after Judas, Jesus makes the prediction of betrayal. It seems obvious to me and possibly to you because the scripture always referred to Judas as a betrayer. But the disciples see him as the treasurer. They think nothing of his leaving. They just do not have a clue that Judas was the kind of guy to be a betrayer. It is especially true in light of the fact that Jesus gave Judas in the Passover what is referred to as the sop, that special morsel of bread which you extend only to one person in the group, the person you deem as your friend, your special friend, the night he betrayed Jesus. Isn't that something? Additionally, if you study the seating arrangements, you notice that Judas is actually in the third position. There was John, Jesus, and Judas. And Judas is in the seat of the person of honor that night. And remember, I expressed previously, Jesus called Judas his friend. Now, let me share the three biblical lessons we can learn from Judas that I hope will help us avoid betrayal from God, you know, betraying God or betraying people in our relationships, our marriages or businesses or whatever. The first one is John 12, 3 and 6 and Matthew 26, 14 and 16 that shows us that undealt with frustrations lead to Judas's betraying Jesus. Those who serve and proclaim Christ for a period of time and turn away later do so through a process. It just doesn't happen overnight. If we do not deal with frustration in our walk with God in our marriages and other relationships, that frustration will enable bitterness to set the stage for betrayal. See, Judas didn't like some of the things Jesus did, like how Jesus viewed and and used money. This frustrated Judas and his frustration grew. Judas became more and more willing to betray Jesus. Many people claim that Judas betrayed Jesus out of greed as though he did it for the money. But Judas's actions are not in keeping with that assumption. However, I think uh, we will never know why Judas, you know, his full motivation for doing. But what is interesting to me is during that time period, 
30 pieces of silver was not a vast sum of money. In Exodus 21 to 32, we find that 30 pieces of silver was the price someone had to pay when they accidentally killed another person's slave. I'm going to leave that alone because there's so much more about that. But nonetheless, to me, it seems more likely that Judas did not betray Jesus out of greed, but out of bitterness or frustration. I don't know if Judas uh, correlated 30 pieces of silver with the price of the accidental killing of a common slave, but it does seem that Judas's anger and frustration with Jesus grew over the three years he was with Jesus. Jesus. I believe Judas became fed up with uh, his expectations of Jesus is not being met. Did you hear me? Judas's expectations of Jesus were not being met. Perhaps Judas was tired of being listed every time, you know, as, uh, or tired of the religious leaders shaking their heads at him as he followed this radical leader called Jesus. Or peradventure, Judas thought Jesus wasted one too many dollars and rebuked Judas one too many times for even Though multiple disciples were indignant over the apparent wastefulness of the woman with the alabaster box, uh, uh, that very precious ointment and poured the ointment on Jesus in lieu of selling the ointment for money and giving the money to the poor. Jesus's response to the woman's actions appeared to have been the last straw for Judas because it was after Jesus defended the woman's behavior that Judas left the room and went to perform his betrayal. That's why Judas's kiss doesn't seem to be about dollars to me. To me, Judas's kiss seems to be a cold, calculated slap in Jesus's face. He could have just pointed at Jesus. He could have been more dignified in his betrayal, but he chose to betray Jesus with a sadistic kiss. How did Judas grow so bitter? How did he become so blinded by his frustration with Jesus? I believe the root cause was sin. Judas allowed his undealt with, or what I like to say is silent frustrations with Jesus, not meeting his expectations boil over. Listen, in any relationship, pretending there isn't a problem is a prerequisite for betrayal. Affairs don't just happen. A teenager leaving one day and never calling his or her parents again is not because of a single event. Listen, best friends do not split because of one argument. People betray one another once the frustrations are too much to handle because they are never dealt with properly. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 conveys, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold like any person who portrays someone eventually Judas could not take it anymore he was tired of Jesus not meeting as I previously expressed his expectations and since he never dealt with his frustrations and confusion properly he decided to do something about it no matter how sinful it was Judas' denial about his sin led to ungodly expectations and let it go so bad that he betrayed Jesus to death. Therefore, do not allow undealt with frustration lead you to betray God or betray anyone else. Now, my second recommendation to avoid betrayal is that we must realize there are only three responses to sin. The Bible expresses a lot about betrayal, but to understand how betrayal happens, it is helpful to know the three responses to sin. They are denial, despair, or repentance. 
If a person has not repented and has not uh, condemned be, or they're not condemned by their sin completely, it means they are in denial and refuse to believe how bad sin really is. In Matthew 27, 3 through 5, we find a great example of what happens when a person can no longer deny how horrible their sinfulness is, but does not repent truly. It further displays how despair occurs and how so many sinners cannot live long under the weight of condemnation. The only good solution is to repent and receive God's grace. To avoid becoming a betrayer, we must repent. Repent of our sins regularly. If we do not repent, we will either deny our sinfulness or commit suicide physically or metaphor, metaphorically <laughs> through an un unending depression stemming from our realization of our wickedness. We can we commit suicide. There is simply no other way to handle the weightiness of Feeling your own fundamental core values. Values. If you finally stop your denial and are confronted with the truth of your sinfulness, but you do not give it all to Jesus through the true repentance, the only coping mechanism the human heart has is death. However, when we come face to face, I'm saying physically or metaphorically, not everybody kills himself, but when you are in sin, you are dead. Uh, when we come face to face with the inner sinfulness that is the root of our sin, we really do only have three options. We can deny our sinfulness to escape its crushing effects. We can commit suicide like Judas to try to escape its crushing effects. Or we can stay in sin, be dead to Christ. Or thankfully, we can repent of our sinfulness and turn from our wicked ways. My third and last recommendation is to embrace God's preordained reality. The Bible teaches us that betrayal is always a result when we refuse to do God's will and fight to do our own will. To be a disciple who endures to the end doesn't betray God, doesn't betray our spouses, and doesn't betray those we love. We must be disciples who submit to the will of God. If we are to expand our text in our study about Judas, we would see another phrase that appears often. The Bible conveys that the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Matthew 26, 53 and 54 conveys, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Acts 1 and 16 conveys brothers and sisters. The scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. So what does this mean? Does it mean that God caused Judas to sin? Absolutely not. James 1, 13 and 15 lets us know God is never responsible for our sin. And we alone are but we alone are responsible for them. But throughout the Bible, what you do see is God directing man's sin to accomplish God's will. You will never find a Bible verse where God takes a righteous man, a person trying to please him. And then God uses that man to sin in a certain way to produce what God wanted. However, 
you will find many instances where a person was already living in sin and rebelling against God and God allowed their sinful heart to lead that person to sin a certain way to accomplish a certain outcome that God wanted from the beginning. There are many examples of this in scripture, but for the sake of time, I will just point on to Acts 2 and 23 expresses this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It conveys that Jesus was crucified by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. By means that this was the means of these events happening. But notice the second part of the verse states clearly that Jesus was nailed to the cross by wicked men. God did not cause the men to sin, but he did allow their sin to accomplish his will. Likewise, when it conveys the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, it does not mean that God merely predicted the sins of Judas. And although he did not produce the sins of Judas either, by his great power and sovereignty, he did allow Judas to be in the places with the people that so that the end result of his sin is what God wanted. And son, what does that all mean for us? Broadcast on overcoming betrayal. It means that to fight against the sovereign gods is pointless. None of this means that our actions are pointless. That man is a robot merely doing what God wants. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that our actions are our own. But God has a plan that is going to accomplish. And you are either going to be part of that plan one way or another. Fighting against God's will is betraying God's way for your own way. In closing, the last point I will make is found in Matthew 2, 27. 6 and 10, the chief priest picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Just imagine this scene. They picked up the 30 pieces of silver that was used as payment to arrange assassination of an innocent man. But rather than be grief stricken by their murderous acts, all they are concerned about is following the letter of the law. Judas and the Pharisees were able to murder Jesus because they had allowed their relationship with God to turn into a fake religion rather than a true relationship with the living God. They just murdered someone. But now they won't put blood money into the treasurer. If it isn't a fake spirituality, I just don't know what is. Throughout all these horrible actions of Judas and the Philistines, I believe they allowed sin to enter into their hearts to the degree that it caused them to forsake a genuine relationship with God. For that sake, fake, sinful, religious, hypocritical lifestyle where the focus was on obeying the letter of the law rather than the spirit behind the law. The honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Therefore, if you want to be disciples who do not betray Jesus, if you want to be a spouse who does not betray your husband or wife, if you want to be a parent who does not betray your children, if you want to be a man or a woman that will repent and turn back to Christ when you fail, then you have to remember this truth that Judas, the betrayer, forgot clearly. And that is God is real.
Having salvation isn't a game. It's not about making money, being a prestigious religious figure, or about experiencing much earthly pleasure while there is time. Life is about glorifying God and doing his will. Remember, you were created on purpose to fulfill the purposes of God. In conclusion, betrayal is a catalyst for the release of emotions and the said emotions can have long lasting and toxic consequences to the victim. Betrayal is a devastating event that most people have experienced to some degree within their lives, whether it be a childhood friend who reveals an innermost secret, though to a more sinister betrayal of infidelity, it leaves a trail of emotions in its wake. Some people may learn from their experience and move on, while others may dwell and fester and have difficulties in moving on. In all scenarios, each individual displays emotions which become a learnt experience and become guarded so as not to be hurt again, while others may continue to allow this to happen to them over and over and over again. Depending upon how indiv- individuals react, you know, from their experiences and emotions, that will determine what effects these emotions will have on their future lives. Choose to acknowledge your feelings, control your feelings, share your feelings with God, change your behavior, realize that you may not be able to trust your betrayer again. The betrayal is not about you and most of all, forgive. Well, my time is out, but I do not want to end this broadcast without sharing with you that John 3 and 16 conveys for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Additionally, Romans 10, 9 through 10 conveys that if thou shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe sincerely, Romans 10 9 through 10, I ask you to pray this brief prayer of salvation with me. Gracious God, our Father, I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, and you, God, raised Jesus from the dead. I ask you to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me so that I might not sin against you and I serve you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you prayed the previous prayer with me, you are saved, meaning you are a child of God, a new creation. All of your previous sins are forgiven. For that reason, please read your Bible and pray every day. Join a church that teaches the word of God. Well, I appreciate you listening to this broadcast. You may follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and RCR Network. Please become a uh, RCR Network uh, sponsor. Uh, What I say unto one, I say unto all. Watch and pray. Live holy every day. Remember much prayer much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. I love you. God bless you. Make wise choices. Thank you for listening to God's Inputs for You with Evangelist, Dr. Sharon Westbrooks. Tune in next time with Dr. Westbrooks about God's Word for Your Life. Somebody ought to celebrate the awesome God. God's Inputs for You is copyrighted by Evangelist, Dr. Sharon Westbrook's Ministries, and the Resilient Christian Radio Network.